0: Good morning. Well, good morning. We're, uh, we're in this summer series on uh, verses that are quite often abused. The series is entitled, I Do Not Think That Verse Means What You Think It Means. We're taking uh, passages from Scripture that are quite often taken out of context and used for nefarious or at least stupid purposes and uh, hoping to find a more suitable interpretation of them that is faithful to the text as it was given and as it properly applies in our present context. Today, we're going to talk about heresy. So the problem with heresy is that it divides. The problem with heresy is that it undermines the unity of the church. You'll recall last week, and I see... That uh, Tristan over here is enjoying uh, his uh, cup of yogurt. Uh, you recall last week we talked about ecumenism. We talked about how when Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, don't be yoked together with unbelievers, what he's not saying there is that you shouldn't try to get along and sometimes even work with people who are believers who kind of do the Christian thing a little differently from how you do it. Uh, and one of the reasons why that's important is that the church is the oikos of God, the household of God. And if we are God's house, we are, as Paul says, being built up together into a temple in which God lives by His Spirit, then that house needs to be unified and it needs to not be divided. And one of the important things, in addition to eating Greek yogurt, that we can do with that is to recognize our responsibility to live out the unity of the body of Christ by being gracious gracious and friendly and generous to people who are in other denominations or in other non-denominational churches. And uh, we need to recognize the stakes of this are not simply uh, that we would be kind of undermining something that's essential to being who we are, which would be a big enough deal, but if you recall when Jesus prayed in John 17 for his people, he said, May they be one, Father, as you and I are one, so that what? so that the world may know that you sent me, right? So the idea is not simply that we're supposed to be doing our church thing right. The idea is that the the credibility of our witness to a watching world depends directly on the unity that we have as Christians with one another. The song is cheesy and annoying, but it's still true. They will know we are Christians by our love. And so the problem with heresy, which we're going to talk about today, is that it divides, it undermines the unity of the oikos. And the the very word uh, implies the sense of of a division or a a separation. You may remember in the book of Titus, this is Paul's letter to Titus. It's uh, right at the end of Paul's letter, right after 1 and 2 Timothy. Right before Philemon, you get Titus. Paul says this at the end, of, toward the end of his letter. He says, avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about Torah because these are unprofitable and useless. Warn a divisive person once and then warn him a second time. After that, have nothing to do with him. You may be sure that such a man is warped and sinful. He is self Condemned. Now that word for divisive person is hereticos. Warn a heretic. You could also translate that once, and then warn him a second time, and after that have nothing to do with him. It's clear from the New Testament witness that those propagating heresy, those teaching it, those furthering it, are dangerous. Not only is heresy something that is going to undermine the unity of the church; those who are perpetrating it are also then dangerous, which means that you need to know a, how to recognize them in the wild, and B, how to handle them. And that I think, is what uh, John is talking about here. in the book of Second John, which is incidentally the second shortest book in the Bible. the, the book Third John has uh, fourteen verses. Second John has thirteen verses has fewer verses but it actually has four more words than 3 John. So that means we can read the whole thing. Hey, I went to church. We went through two whole books of the Bible, a bunch of other stuff too. Uh, so this is the elder writing to the chosen lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, not I only, but also all those who know the truth because of the truth which lives in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, will be with us in truth And love, So it's given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as the Father commanded us. And now, dear lady, I'm not writing you a new command, but one we've had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk in obedience to His commands. Just as you've heard from the beginning, His command is that you walk in love. Now many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is the deceiver and the antichrist. So watch out that you do not lose what you've worked for, but that you may be rewarded fully. Anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not take him into your house or welcome him. Anyone who welcomes him Shares in his wicked work. I have much to write to you, but I do not want to use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to visit you and talk with you face to face so that our joy may be complete. And the children of your chosen sister send their greetings. So, this is John the Elder writing to the chosen lady. Now, the chosen lady might be sort of figurative language for a church, right? At the end, he talks about the children of your chosen sister send their greetings. Perhaps that would be the people in the church where he's hanging out as he's writing the letter. Uh, or it could just be a lady who's got some children who are walking in the truth. Not really important. The key thing is is he is thrilled to find that some of her her children are walking in the truth. However, there's a problem because we have these heretics, these false teachers who are coming along and who are deceiving people. Now, When he says in chapter, well, there's only one chapter. When he says in verse 10, (laughs) see, I've been using this Bible software for too long. You always have to put a chapter number in, even if there's only one chapter. If anyone comes to you and doesn't bring this teaching, don't take him into your house or welcome him. Anyone who welcomes him shares in his wicked work. You may have heard that what this means is that when the Jehovah's Witnesses come to your door, you cannot ask them inside and offer them a glass of water or a cup of coffee. You have to argue the Trinity with them through the screen door. (laughs) Which is a fun exercise in literal interpretation, but I do not think is what's going on. However, yes, there's a need to be careful in handling a heretic. Let's flip ahead an entire book of the Bible to 3 John, figure out the context of what's going on here. Here, again, the elder is writing to my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Gaius, who is going to spend the early part of eternity being apologized to by every boy who ever read 3 John when he was in middle school. Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, even as your soul's getting along well. Gave me great joy to have some brothers come and Tell about your faithfulness to the truth and how you continue to walk in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Dear friend, you're faithful in what you're doing for the brothers, even though they're strangers to you. They've told the church about your love, and you'll do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. It was for the sake of the name that they went out, receiving no help from the pagans. We ought, therefore, to show hospitality to such men, so that we may work together for the truth. I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first, will have nothing to do with us. So if I come, I will call attention to what he's doing, gossiping maliciously about us. Not satisfied with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers. He also stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. So my dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Anyone who does what's good is from God. Anyone who does what is evil hasn't seen God. Demetrius is well spoken of by everyone, unlike that jerk Diotrephes, even by the truth itself. We also speak well of him, and you know that our testimony is true. I have much to write you, but I do not want to do so with pen. This is like... Is, I should use this when I have a long paper to write. I have much to write, but I, you know... I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace to you. The friends here send their greetings, and greet the friends there by name. So what we see here is John is referring to these itinerant teachers, these people who are going around from place to place and who are teaching the gospel. And the way that you could do this is by being received, by receiving the hospitality of the the church where you you showed up. And then after you were there for a while, then you would go on your way. This became so commonplace that by uh, just a few decades later at the time of the writing of uh, the Didache, one of these early church documents, you even had rules It said basically if a traveling teacher shows up and uh, you can let him stay for a day, maybe two. But it was not Ben Franklin who first said that fish and house guests tend to stink after three days. The Didache said if it's after three days, he's a false prophet. He's just trying to mooch off of you. So kick him out. But, but the way that this worked, of course, is that we, you know, people were, were being told to show hospitality. You would get references here. John, of course, is saying, yeah, this Demetrius guy, he's great. He's well spoken of by everybody, and, and you're going to love him. But at the same time as you have these true teachers, these good teachers who are building up the church, or teaching what is true about Christ, you also have a bunch of other folks. For one thing, what we find here is you have some people who are just jerks. Like Diotrephes. Diotrephes likes to have things his own way. Diotrephes seems to be insecure and does not want to have anybody else in a role of leadership relative to Diotrephes. And if he feels threatened, he kicks them out. So that can be a problem. We don't know that Diotrephes is teaching any any heresy. just seems that perhaps Diotrephes has some issues with his leadership style. But more seriously... We have, going around, and we know this from other New Testament documents, people who are teaching all kinds of other false doctrines and who are engaged in all kinds of naughty behaviors. In Second Timothy, Paul says in chapter 3, Mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. So I have nothing to do with them. They're the kind of folks who worm their, worm their way, way into homes and gain control over weak-willed women who are loaded down with sins that are swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning but never able to acknowledge the truth. So here we have people who are who are hedonists, who are taking advantage of other folks in order simply to serve their pleasures. We also have people who are greedy. If you read in Second Peter, in chapter two, he says that there are also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. <coughs> They'll secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their shameful ways and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with stories they've made up. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them, and their destruction has not been sleeping. He goes on to say that these men are springs without water, mists driven by a storm. Blackest darkness is reserved for them. For they mouth empty, boastful words, and by appealing to the lustful desires of sinful flesh, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, while they themselves are slaves of depravity. For a man has a slave to whatever has mastered him. And if they've escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, but then are entangled in it again and overcome, really they're worse off at the end than they were at the beginning would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then to turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. Of them the Proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit, and a sow that is washed goes back to her wallowing in the mud. The danger here is that these folks were part of the scene. These people were part of the community. They were solid at one time and perhaps are trading on that reputation, but as a matter of fact, they have now gone off the reservation. They have given themselves over to their own greed and their lustful desires. And it's necessary to warn people against getting dragged down with them. You also had, and this is shot through Paul's letters, Paul had this this constant uh, battle with the Judaizers, with the people who were insisting that in order to become a follower of Jesus Messiah, who is, of course, Israel's Messiah, you had to become part of Israel, which means that if you're a Gentile, you need to be circumcised, which was a barrier to entry for many. Uh, he says uh, in chapter 1 of Galatians, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ. That's me. Right, Paul? And you're turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if, we, even if an angel of heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. As we've already said, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. Just in case you thought that was too mild, he then goes on to say it's for freedom in chapter 5 that Christ has set us free. So stand firm then. Don't let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words, I, Paul, I tell you that if you let yourself be circumcised... Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised, if you're going to do that, then fine, you're obligated to keep all of Torah. You who are trying to be justified by Torah have been alienated from Christ. You've fallen away from grace. But by faith we eagerly await through the Spirit that righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. I mean, you were running a good race. Who, who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? That, that kind of persuasion doesn't come from one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch. I'm confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who's throwing you into confusion will pay the penalty, whoever he may be. Now, my brothers, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. And as for those agitators, I wish they'd go the whole way and emasculate themselves. Booyah! <laughs> he has so many good lines. That's got to be my favorite. And he, he appeals to the fact that there, there's, there's attraction. I mean, heresy is always attractive because there's something about it that is appealing. It, and, and it's usually really close to the truth. In fact, it, that's what makes it so dangerous. <laughs> is that it's, it's mostly right, but in that one part that it's not, it ends up unraveling the whole thing. And that one thing that it's not is something that appeals to us, that wants to drag us in, but ultimately is going to destroy us. Because that one thing is the thing where the heresy vaunts itself over the truth, over orthodoxy. See, heresy is not only appealing, heresy is insistent. And it has always been the case among heretics that not only have they preached something that is false, they have preached it insistently as not only true, but the only thing that is true. They have preached it as that which is a progress upon what was previously revealed, that which is an improvement, that which is better that which is more sophisticated that which is better informed that which is better suited to the spirit of the age we live in there is always something appealing about it and that is always the thing where it ultimately insists on having primacy so how do we recognize it well john says in his first letter starting chapter 2 he says Dear children, this is the last hour, and as you've heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it's the last hour. And they went out from us, but they didn't really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One. All of you know the truth. not writing to you because you don't know the truth. I'm writing because you do know it and because no lie comes from the truth. Who's the liar? The liar is the man who denies that Jesus is Messiah. That kind of man is Antichrist. He denies the Father and the Son. And no one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. So see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you will also remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, even eternal life. I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you, and you don't need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. So skipping ahead to chapter 4, dear friends, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world, And this is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, but every spirit that doesn't acknowledge Jesus is not from God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you've heard is coming, and even now is already in the world. So John here is giving some very, very, very basic doctrinal tests. Like if if Jesus is Lord, you can't say that, then we're going to have a problem. If you don't acknowledge Christ as coming in the flesh, that's going to be a problem. You don't think Jesus is Messiah? Uh, That's kind of like our deal as Christians. So these are ways that you can recognize these heresies. Now what I want to be clear about is that this does not mean two things that I think oftentimes this idea of not welcoming a false teacher can often be used to refer to. I don't think what this means then is that we're supposed to be rude to the Jehovah's Witnesses or to the Mormon elders when they show up on our doorstep. When John says, if anyone comes to you and doesn't bring this teaching, don't take him into your house or greet him. Anyone who greets him shares in his wicked work. So it's not like if you say, hi, good morning, ah, dang it. Ah, I just helped get rid of a bunch more watchtower tracts. No, I, I think what he's probably referring to here is the kind of greeting that would be given from one Christian to another. In other letters, we have you know, a statement, greet one another with a holy kiss. I'm glad we don't apply that directly, but uh, you know, there, there's probably a, a technical sense in which he's talking about a greeting. And I also don't think that when it says don't take him into your house, it doesn't mean you can't have a conversation with him in the air-conditioned living room. I think what it means is you're not supposed to offer hospitality to somebody who is, a, who is a false teacher. You're not supposed to take him in and feed him and supply his needs so that he can then continue to propagate the false teaching that he's propagating. But it doesn't mean, I think, that you are supposed to be rude. And I don't think it means you can't have conversations. You can't, it doesn't mean you can't have theological conversations with people who believe false doctrines. In fact, I think that's a very good thing for us to be doing. I have myself done a good bit of that. It doesn't mean, too, that you, you're not supposed to be generally kind or gracious or, or show common courtesy to them. And it also doesn't mean there aren't things that you, you, you can't do together, right? I mean, if, if uh, your neighborhood gets snowed in, it's not like, you, you. well, no, I'm sorry, I can't help shovel out the old lady's walk because the Mormon's doing that, and I certainly don't want to share in his wicked work. no. So it doesn't mean that you have to be a jerk. And it also doesn't mean, and this I think is important, that, that uh, the, I, I don't think this refers to our dealings with people of other faiths. Uh, on the cover of your bulletin is one of the most arresting photographs I've seen in my entire life. This was taken uh, during the protests in Tahrir Square in Egypt a few years ago. And, and what you see there is a picture of uh, Christians holding hands and forming a barrier to protect the Muslims who were praying. After this happened, the Muslims returned the favor. They formed a barrier so that the Christians could say their prayers. Now, both of them thought that the other was doing something that was idolatrous, was wrong, was bad, false worship. But at the same time, wanting to live in a society that was free and where people could be free to choose how they worship. They wanted to protect the human dignity of one another. I find that very inspiring. I don't think we're supposed to be underhanded and try to take a, uh, remove advantage from people of other faiths. What John is talking about here is not how you deal with people of other religions. What he's talking about here is how you deal with heretics, people who have tweaked Christian doctrine so it's off just enough. But... I think the most important thing as we think about this, and this is, I think, what is shot through John's letter, the first one, uh, is that the best way that we can deal with the reality of heresy and the fact that people do come to us trying to teach things that are not true and trying to get us and other people to believe them, the best way to deal with heresy is to know the truth, is to know orthodoxy, is to understand the doctrines of our faith and to be saturated by them, to swim around in them, to know them. This is one of the reasons that we say the Nicene Creed every time we take communion because we want to remind ourselves of these essential doctrines that have been held by faithful Christians throughout the ages. This is one of the reasons that at the baptism next week we will... Uh, Invite the people who are being baptized, and then everybody who has already been baptized will get to join in with them in reciting the Apostles' Creed, which is a a baptismal creed, a statement of faith that probably goes back, not quite all the way to the Apostles, but quite a long way in the history of the church. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said, uh, you need to make sure that once you have accepted Christianity, that some of its main doctrines shall be deliberately held before your mind for some time each day. That's why daily praying and religious reading and church going are necessary parts of the Christian life. We have to be continually reminded of what we believe. Neither this belief nor any other will automatically remain alive in the mind. It must be fed. As a matter of fact, if you examined a 100 people who would lost their faith in Christianity, I wonder... How many of them would turn out to have been reasoned out of it by honest argument? Do not most people simply drift away? Let's pray. Lord, our prayer is that we would be people, that we would be a church that does not simply drift away. That certainly we would not be a people who chooses to improvise on what you have given us, who chooses for the sake of pleasure or comfort, obstinacy, or arrogance, a form of faith that is not the one you've given us. Pray that we'd be people who are faithful to the tradition that you have passed down over the generations, that we'd be people who contend for the deposit that has been given to us. We pray, Lord, that this would be to the unity of your church, and to your glory. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.